Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Women in Work is grateful to partner with Elevate as the exclusive sponsor of this podcast and the entire fall podcast season. Elevate equips and empowers families around the world by helping them create sustainable work through small businesses. Their leather products are beautiful and well-crafted. Please see the impact they are having in their products on their website at elevatepeople.com. And when you make a purchase, be sure to tag Women in Work and Elevate at elevate.people on Instagram and elevate.ppl on Facebook. Thank you, Elevate. Welcome, everyone. Today, Courtney and I are so excited. We have a friend on the show, Miss Trillia Newbell. So excited to have you today, Trillia. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So Trillia is an author and a speaker and currently works as an acquisitions editor for Moody Publishers. This comes after serving for seven years as the, the director of community outreach for the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission for the SBC, or Southern Baptist Convention, which is where I met you. Yes. She is passionate about issues of faith, family, and diversity, and her writings on this topic have been published in the Knoxville News Sentinel, Desiring God, True Women, Christianity Today, The Gospel Coalition, and more. Her most recently published book is a children's book called Creative God, Colorful Us, And she's also written God's Very Good Idea for Children as well, which I give gifts at baby showers and books. So your books are what I give at baby showers. Uh Um, You can find Bible studies that Trillia has written on Hebrews 11 and Romans 8. And Romans 8 is really one of my favorite ones, as well as several other books that she's written. And so we've included all of those in the show notes. Her greatest love besides God is her family. She is married to her best friend in love, Thern, and they reside with their two children near Nashville, Tennessee. Well, Trillia. thank you for that intro. <laughs> I talking through it. I was like, how oh, thanks. <laughs> Trillia, yeah. thank you so much for coming on today. And, you know, Trey, I don't know if you remember when you and I met, you were leading a breakout session at... Goodness, it was either Lifeway Women's Leadership Forum in Nashville or a, like a mom conference. I don't know which one it was, but it was at Long Hollow Baptist Church. This was like not 10 years ago, but almost. And I was going through this season. Of, I mean, our family was kind of in the middle of a suffering. We were kind of in the middle of a really rough season. Mm-hmm. And your breakout was on basically hope and suffering. And mm-hmm. I remember, Julia, I was sitting in like the third row, right in the middle, like right in front of you. And I just remember you were just giving scripture after scripture, hope mm-hmm. after hope after hope. Yes. I just wept through your entire talk. And then afterwards, you were so sweet to me. And I tell people all the time, Julia, this is the truth. When I see your stuff on social media, I mean, I love you. But then when I'm like, when I get to like rub shoulders with you and chat with you, I always walk away thinking, she is more special than I remembered the last time I met her. Like you really yeah. just like are so special. I don't know another word. And so I'm just so grateful for you to be here today. This means a lot to us. Well, thank you. You know, it's funny. <laughs> Before we started, I said, I just am a weepy mess. And so here I am crying. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was trying not to, but yeah. this is so encouraging. And, oh. you know, it's interesting because I remember that. Because um, it was a massive conference. Yeah, I was pretty new to speaking, and I think there were nineteen people there. It was a very small number of people who came to my little breakout because no one knew who I was. Love and, it. And and I remember thinking, oh, there was one person who was. Well, and. and it's amazing. How yeah. Besides was. that, you know, you were working at the ERLC then, and I was just 
I mean, I was just trying to figure out how God was going to use me. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, women in work was nowhere on the radar at that point. And I was just dipping my toe in trying to write. And you were so kind and generous. You were like, here's my email. I want you to submit an article, send it to me, and maybe we can publish it at the RLC. And you guys did. That was like my first kind of published piece on the interwebs, except for my own little blog. And that was because of you. And it just encouraged wow. me to keep going. And I just, you have such a special place in my heart. I'm really glad you're here. Well, that is such a, it's so encouraging to hear. And so thanks for sharing that with me. Yeah. I love, I love what I get to do. And especially now that I'm an acquisitions editor, I get to do that kind of thing every day oh, where amazing. I find people and get to help their gifts be um, not only just seen because we don't want just gifts seen, but experience. Mm -hmm and allowing them to serve um, so broadly. So it's so encouraging. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Well, as we jump into the interview, we ask, um, we laugh because we always say it's rapid fire, but it takes longer than we think. But it's the same kind of fun, get to know you questions that our listeners would probably be curious about. And so um, the first question we ask every guest is, uh, Trillia, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Okay. I wanted to be a pathologist. Okay. Wow. Which is hilarious. But I love the human body. Mm -hmm. And I love, um, I just think it's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Yes. I mean, how we fire away and can speak and all the things that are happening right now. Amazing yeah. to me. But I also had this kind of investigator desire. So I did it. I think I was in the 10th grade and I did a, a shadowing. I shadowed some detectives. Oh, and they let me see things I shouldn't have seen. Like I saw some pictures. I don't know. Oh. Why. I still can see the pictures in my mind. I don't know why. And they he told told me all sorts of things. One of them told me about how he struggled with depression. And I'm like, this As 15 year old, like, oh my goodness. <laughs> they, they were very open. I'll just say that. Very oh. open. Yes, yes. So, um, but yeah, so that's pathologist. Okay. Okay. I know. And <laughs> I mean, I've never even heard anyone ever say that that's what they dream to be. So that Me is either. just like, that's a new shows one. How you really are. You are one of a kind. <laughs> so, okay. I'm interested in hearing this. So what was your first job? So my first fake job <laughs> was I <clears throat> developed a baking um, business in, I had to, how old was I? I may have been in middle school elementary middle school, middle school definitely middle school and I all these different businesses bought my pies I could cook my mom was teaching me how to cook and I I remember doing it would have been like old southern black stuff so like <laughs> pineapple upside down cake and pound cake and <laughs> and yes. I would and people would buy it for their their picnic and and it was and I know other it's not just black people who do pineapples and cake, but anyways, <laughs> and bound cake. But that was my <laughs> experience. Yes. Well, looking forward to the end of your life, what do you hope to be doing when you're 80? If I live that long, I don't <laughs> imagine that I'll have a employment, but I imagine doing <laughs> stuff with my hands. I hear you. One of the creative answers we got to that question was that someone said that they wanted to be trying out, <clears throat> testing out beach chairs. <laughs> I, I could take that job too. <laughs> yes. So what we want to do now is just get to know you a little bit more. Um, so tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you're from. Okay. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. So okay. East Tennessee, right now I live in West, Middle Tennessee. I don't live in West Tennessee. Um, so Knoxville, which is a college town. So I grew up in the South and I grew up in a really loving home, but not a Christian home. I didn't become a Christian until the age of 22. And that's in itself a story. And so, um, yeah, I have three sisters, one with the Lord. So two mm -hmm. who are living. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, so that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> How did you come to know the Lord if you weren't raised in a Christian household? Yeah, so I was teaching at a private camp okay. and I was the lead instructor and I had an assistant and we were in a hotel room together 
and she opened her Bible. I was 19 at the time. She opened her Bible um, to have a quiet time, and it was, as she said. And I just, I remember being really a, a f- defensive, like, you stay over there with that Bible. Because I, I wasn't only not a Christian, I was opposed to Christians and Christianity. Oh, wow. My worldview was pretty different <laughs> than it is now. That's amazing. And, and I thought Christians were crazy, didn't want to have anything to do with them. And um, so funny. And so, but she was, she was just like, I'm just having a quiet time. But for some reason, it felt, I felt invited to talk, to talk to her and ask her questions. And, um, and she was also a little evangelist, I came to know, because she, I mean, but I was on, by the end of the night, I was like on her bed confessing sin and she was sharing the gospel. Wow. That's amazing. But it took two years and two broken engagements before I was humbled and I went back to her church, um, at 22 and you know, the hymn rock of ages, wash me savior all day. Yeah. That verse, I just thought I need a savior and Hmm. the Lord saved me. And I remember praying with, um, that friend and another Mm -hmm. really close friend still, and another lady for me to be saved. And the Lord, he rescued me right there in my life changed my whole, the trajectory of my life changed, my worldview changed, my heart changed, this, he changed me. So let's talk about um, you and work. So y- did you start out as a journalist? Is that Was that what your dream was? Or, I mean, because I know not a pathologist, but, <laughs> and yeah, share us a little bit about going to college and what your first like work work was. Okay, so it's interesting. I've worked all my life, so it's hard for me to say. I was, um, my first job job wasn't a journalist. I was an educational specialist. I have a degree in political science, and I got into law school. That's just so you realize the trajectory of my life was going to be really different. So I started my master's in uh, public administration as I waited to see if I was going to go to law school. I deferred it because I'd just become a Christian and I wanted to make sure I knew what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so during that time, I was an educational. I know I've done a lot. (laughs) It's it's a wild, wild world over here. so much. It's like, why wait till you're 80 to retire? Like, what's your question about when you're 80? What are you going to be doing when you're 60? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that is really great. That's great. Okay. Yeah, I, it's, been an, it's been a wild ride. So, so I was, I was a freelance journalist. I'm just going to skip all the other things I did. And I was a freelance journalist after I gave birth to my first child. And so I had written for my college paper. I knew that I could write. I knew that I I was interested in um, journalism um, to some degree. Mm -hmm. However, I, I was mostly trying to find something that I could do and stay at home. And so as a freelance journalist, it made it pretty easy for me. I I just either drag them to wherever I was going um, (laughs) or just go for that, the couple of hours, write my piece and, and go. So I was a feature. I did a lot of feature stories. I did some, I did like one business and one, (laughs) but mostly what I was doing was feature stories, which is an absolute blast. Um, I, I, it was just such a joy to, to get to do that. And every once in a while, um, because then I, you know, I was a Christian, she'd allow me to do something random. Like I, I interviewed John Piper for a massive feature on, um, for the, for a secular paper on Father's Day. And then I, yeah, so she would allow me to do different things every now and then. But I, so what kind of led me into writing more was I, I just wanted to write from my Christian perspective. So I remember asking mm-hmm. if I could write a column for my secular paper <laughs> sure. from a Christian perspective. And she said, yes. And so I did a column once and 
Um, and then I started blogging, et cetera, et cetera. But my, my, I, I was a freelance journalist and did a lot of, I have a lot of articles um, in a city paper. Uh, and, and really she was taking a chance on me in some ways, but, but I had, it, it, it took, yeah, it was a, I think she would say that it worked out. <laughs> sure. Then how did you um, go from writing as a freelancer to doing explicit ministry? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I was always in ministry um, okay. in my local church. And okay. so I did uh, college ministry as a, I was on staff at a church okay. doing college ministry. And then um, I, I, I worked at a nonprofit. I helped them uh, with with their grant writing because mm-hmm. of my research background. And I also did some uh, inner city ministry. Uh, and so, so I, I when and when I wasn't doing that, I was always doing ministry. I just believe that the local <laughs> church is essential. So, so I was always doing ministry. Um, so, so for it to become, I guess, where it's also my vocation, right? Was when I, after that column with my secular paper, I realized I want to do this. So I started a blog called Women of uh, Women of God Magazine, like this e-zine where I had people contribute. And then as I was writing, people took notice of my writing. And mm-hmm. and then I, I, I started writing for different organizations. And before I knew it, <laughs> <laughs> it was very, it was, it was not, it was, I didn't seek it out. It's really interesting. Hmm. I was just being faithful right. to mm-hmm. write, just, just use the gifts God gives. And I knew I wanted to encourage people. Um, and I knew I wanted to write from this perspective. And I, I had this entrepreneurial, which I, I don't even know if I'm saying right. I, um, yeah. kind of spirit. So, which is why I started the magazine. But then once I realized that that I might write more on my own, I stopped doing that and just concentrate, mm-hmm. concentrated on um, writing blogs and books. It, it started very quickly. Um, but I was, I guess it, it was, I, I'm trying to remember when it was. I can't remember the, the, the date, but I would say that my public ministry really took off if I, if I, for lack of a better word, when I started working at the ERLC. That would have been when public ministry became a, a, a clear path. Like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this now in a more official um, setting and, and way rather than just writing books, which I had already started doing, or writing articles, it became a job and a vocation. So um, what, I mean, I feel like we all, just like you said, I mean, we all feel like we got to know you through your job at the RLC. And so your your title there was Director of Community Outreach. What what would you, what did you do? What was, what was your job there for those seven years? I mean, we saw you doing it, but what was it you were doing? Like, what were you doing? Yeah, so I I did a lot of writing and speaking and developing resources. And so what I did there translated very well to what I do now. Okay. Um, And so I would uh, develop book concepts and I would help with conferences, obviously not developing the conference, but speaking at the conference. And every now and then, speaking into workshops or various things or speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, that is what I did. I, I was kind of outward facing um, mm-hmm. and doing, doing a lot of writing and speaking and, and developing ideas and thinking through some of the future, especially with women. Mm-hmm. I did a lot, a lot thinking, you know, we did gatherings and different conversations and thinking about 
what the future would hold. Now, some of those things were never realized because a lot of us moved on. <laughs> so we had a lot of ideas and plans that sure. have not yet. They may later if the ERLC, mm -hmm. RLC decides to do them. But mm -hmm. um, but that was a lot that I was doing, a lot of developing and ideating and um, and also writing, which was and, and speaking. Okay. Well, that makes sense now with your, just how you mentioned that um, what you do now as an acquisitions editor at Moody, because in my mind, it sounds like, oh no, when I think of the ERLC, I'm thinking, you know, public policy, I'm thinking speaking to the culture about all these ethics things. And even though we saw you speaking about all these other things, um, it sounded like, oh no, this is a big transition, but it really hasn't been, it sounds like that much. Tell us about your job now at Moody. Yeah, it actually is not at all <laughs> that much of a transition. One, because I'm an author, um, mm -hmm. which is different. And being an author is different than being one who acquires books and thinks of books for the broader, not just evangelicalism, but just for the church and just trying to think through what's the cultural pain points. But right there, um, being a part of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, I, I had to be aware of what was going on in the church and some of the sure. church's needs. And, and so as an acquisitions editor, I develop authors. I look for authors um, and then I help them think through different potential topics and books. Um, it goes deeper in, I, I, I will help them shape their their book as well um as just a a acquisitions the editor part however we do have a developmental editor who goes deeper into that wow. um editing and and which i'm grateful for um <laughs> I, love, I love i love the developing encouraging and and kind of ideating. Let's figure right. out where it is that you're gifted and how to put this together to make sense to help the church. And That's so right. Moody is about discipleship and I get to do that all day long. It is an absolute blast to look for authors and 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 really um, help them make disciples that make disciples. That's so great. That. So tra transition is a big thing for women, right? Um well, it's a big thing for people. And it seems like this, no one can say that 2020, 2019, 2020, 2021 was not about transition in one way or another, right? So as we navigate the various seasons that the Lord has us in, how did you know, like, this is the right time to transition from this job to another job, or it's okay to transition from this space to another space? Because often, I think that's where the like we know it's time to go or we, we feel like we should be going, but we don't know how to take that step um, or to make the actual transition happen. A lot of people are in transition and praying through transitions. Mm -hmm. For me, one of the things that helps is that I'm not isolated. So I don't make decisions in isolation. I'm talking to uh, my husband, I'm talking to friends, talking to my pastor. So there are people around me that help me make decisions. And I think I think that's good. Of course, I'm also talking to the Lord. So I'm asking God for direction and for help. And um, But one of the things that keeps people from actually moving sometimes in faith is that they're waiting for some big, like, God to come out of a cloud. <laughs> sure, yes. <laughs> And well, that's just probably not going to happen. So unless he's returning. <laughs> so yeah. what we, what I really have to do is have faith right. and, and yeah. trust that whatever step I'm taking, that he's gone before me, he's ahead of it. Right. And so, mm -hmm. so for, yeah, so for me, it's just not making sure, one, making sure I'm not making any emotional decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and two, making sure that I'm, I've communicated with someone, mm -hmm. including the Lord, and then taking that step of faith. I also try not to make decisions hastily. Now, sometimes mm -hmm. I can overstay my welcome if I do that. And so I have to really, you know, you're like, I probably should have left. But I think it's good. I think it's good to really wait Especially mm -hmm. if there are some emotional, you know, a sure. situation, and and you're you, it, you could be 
you could be reading it um, through a lens of hurt or pain or, you know, so you got to really pray through those things. However, there's so much freedom and yeah. it's, it's a joy to be able to just do, trust the Lord and do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Amen. So good. I love that. Well, the other thing um, that a lot of women are, you know, thinking through transitions and all of that, but um, with COVID especially, I feel like we are all doing so much more remote work. And I imagine that the authors you're working with are spread all over the place. I mean, Moody itself, its kind of hub is in Chicago and you live in Nashville. So how has it been? And and you previously at the ERLC, that was just local. I don't know how often you, you know, went to the office, but I imagine you're working a lot more from home. Um, how has that adjustment been? And are there just any tips or rhythms that you've discovered in this last uh, bit that you would say, oh, you know, this has really worked for me and might work for women listening today? Okay, so yes, I was mostly, even when I worked with the ERLC, I was pretty much remote. I okay. would only go in once a week. This, however, is unique in that I was, I am supposed to fly to Chicago every three months or so, but okay. Chicago is on lockdown, just can, remains on lockdown. <laughs> yeah. They lifted oh. restrictions and then they bring them back and they lift and bring them back. So, so it is, um, it has made travel unrealistic, right? Often, you know, for, for going to Moody much which is okay because we're all in the same boat and we're all working remotely. Um, so for me, I have made the decision and really been intentional to have a workspace okay. because what happens or what can easily happen is I could work anywhere when you're working from home. You can work from... So I try to stay in that workspace mm-hmm. so that it's when I when I get up, I know that I'm going to work. I'm going to my office. And then when I'm done, I shut it down mm-hmm. and I leave that office and I don't come back in. And that to me has helped me keep real clear boundaries sure, That's cool. so that I'm not working all throughout the night or yeah, or, or during times when I'm not supposed to, or when exactly. I'm not asked to, or there's no uh-huh. need for it. Uh-huh. So especially because I'm the home is the home. I mean, I'm still at home while I'm working. <laughs> this has really helped that because um, what I have not done. So this is a tip that I'm, I'm about to start in, implementing is I, I have not done the get up and get dressed for work. Yes. <laughs> I, I only do that on special occasions. <laughs> That's great. Most of the time it's, well, I'll just put on my sweatpants and get to work. Um, and so, so that worked for maybe a year, but now that I, I realized, no, this is our reality. Uh-huh. Right. This we're, we're here. Sure. This is, yeah. I have made the decision that for my own just joy, <laughs> Right. <laughs> I'm actually going to get dressed because otherwise I will never get dressed. Right. And, and I want to feel, you know, like a little more normal. <laughs> you understand? Totally understand that. I read a meme where the lady was like, it's so hard getting used to my hard pants. And what she meant with her jeans. <laughs> yes. She tights and sweatpants all the time. <laughs> Totally. I love that by heart pants. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And and full disclosure, and y'all can see it. I am currently wearing <laughs> So it is like, come on. So, so I I going that is my next goal is to um to to start getting up. And I get up plenty of time. I'm I'm a 5 a.m. get up and get going kind of gal. <laughs> but I don't get dressed. I don't. Okay. So, so that is my next goal. And that's a tip. And it's a one that I've heard um, Ruth Jo Simons. I don't know if you've spoken yeah. with her, but that's one of the things that's helping her to thrive. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of people I've spoken to get that. That's, it seems so simple, Sure. but it's, it's helping them to thrive. And to, if we're going to be stuck here, 
then then kind of getting some of those normal rhythms of life back. Yeah, and make the most out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I I use the word joy on purpose. It will it will bring I me joy to and re, to be refreshed and to to feel like I'm 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 it's not it, there's a real transition from bed <laughs> to all work to play to work out yeah. <laughs> for everything. <laughs> Everything. It's hilarious. But I mean, it's the point you can wear to church too, because you was watching I, church TV. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So for, for the first part of this 2020, all the way for a long time. Yeah, that was my reality. Right. But yeah. And so and so this is that that's something I think that's important. And it's you know, and everyone has to ask themselves what what refreshes you and what brings you joy. And I think that will be something that will be hopeful. So here's a here's another question. Is it, it, the goal of it is not to be spicy. This is really to understand. So another difference that you've experienced in your job transla- transition is that you no longer work for a denomination or for an entity head. And um, has that been strange to you, or has it been um, amazing? <laughs> 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 Um, and what I mean is just not being so heavily involved in the some of the traumas that have been known to be lingering in the background. Is there anything going on? Is there something going on? I don't um, know. What? <laughs> Full disclosure and honest, it's been a refreshing time. Good. I I think um, I absolutely love the denomination. Yes. I, I love yeah. the people. Let me yes. be real specific. I love, yes. I love the people. Mm-hmm. So, so that hasn't changed, obviously. And I right. still, I mean, I'm still involved with the people. <laughs> so, yes. so there hasn't been this like weird cutoff just to right. be like where I'm, I, I'm not talking to people and that's weird. Right. Right. But in terms of my work environment, um, mm-hmm. it has been a refreshing season to have a different focus and I, the organization, and this is not a comparison, what I'm about right. to say. This is more just an encouragement about mm-hmm. Moody. It is very healthy. And, mm-hmm. it's good. and it's and our leader is very pastoral. And mm-hmm. so it has been a balm to my soul oh, to work. And and yeah, yeah. And so and our books, though there are many that deal with controversial touch points. We're looking for things that are going to be needed 10 years from now. So that means I'm not always on controversy because right. we're about discipleship. So it's a different right. focus. Yes, and so it's, nice. it's just, I'm, my mind is refreshed as well. I'm not thinking about all the cultural p- pain points constantly and, or in the controversy, there's so much yeah. controversy all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just not the the yeah the way we roll, <laughs> and so it's good. just not our role in general. It's just there's yeah. it would be very odd. So um, so it's been a refreshing time, and and so but goodness, do I pray, do I think of, and do I mourn so much that I see mm. um, in the SBC? I just. Yeah, I I just can't. Yeah, it's a burden that I should carry as a as a yes. friend to so many, and for being yes. you know there for seven years, um, but one that I also am casting onto the Lord and and weighing. Okay, what's what's my responsibility now, and what's not? And a lot of it's not. So right. I mostly just pray, and um, so yeah, but well, it's it's been refreshing time. From the outside mm-hmm. in, I mean, you have your contribution to the SBC is, I don't even know, I don't even have a good adjective. <laughs> We're just so, all, all of us are so grateful for what you have contributed mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the value you brought as you worked for the ERLC. So just thank you for that. Thank you. It, it was, it was a joy. I, I, 
when when it was hard, it was hard, and when it wasn't, it wasn't. So I just want to sure. make that clear. Yeah, it was the, and I think we just we did a lot of good work. So I'm grateful. Yeah. Well, transitioning the conversation now, one of the things we talked about is that one of your big passions, and you've written about, spoken quite a bit about, is <clears throat> your heart for um, just seeing diverse ethnicities valued, celebrated, mm-hmm. and so. We're just curious, how did your passion for this begin? And really share with our listeners, especially maybe who are have never really heard um, a good a good uh, reasoning for just God's heartbeat behind um, differences. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it began the day my mom gave birth to me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> but I, I grew up in the South. Um, my father experienced some deep, deep racism um, from being beat to oh, being called names. I was a teenager, had a rock thrown out the window when I was walking with a, a fellow band member to a convenience store and then N-word was shouted. I experienced extreme racism, lots of things. So I had no choice right. but to look this in the face. Um from the beginning. And so I have, I don't remember a time in my life where I hadn't been thinking about, okay, what does it mean to be um, not just human, but to be in a world where I'm surrounded by majority white people. Right. Um, So that's been, that was my upbringing. And that's so, and, and so it's, I can't remember a time when, and it, so I, I also grew up very justice um, oriented. So I remember marching um, at the Martin Luther King Jr. Day Parade as a kid, um, as a teen, going to um, different celebrations. I was just, it was in me. Mm-hmm. And then even as in a call as college Gosh, was I a sophomore? It was before I became a Christian. I was thinking I was a sophomore. I was in student government government at this 40,000, you know, it's a massive college that I went to, um, 40,000 people or something. And I was in student government and I was, I can't remember what is. <laughs> I don't remember what I was doing, but I do remember this. I hosted coffee talks where I invited people to talk about race. Okay. Um, on the college campus and just to, and we would openly have conversations about it. So it just, I think it's, I think people know me as doing this work now, like I write about, I've written several books and, but it has been my work. It has been what I've done before I was a Christian. This is what I did. And Mm -hmm. my dad, um, again, a Christian a Christian principle, but without Christian doctrine, he would teach, he taught us to love. Mm -hmm. And so we had this idea growing up that we needed to love people. Um, We wouldn't have said love our neighbor as ourselves, but we would just say, this is, we need to love people. And Mm -hmm. he instilled a sense of forgiveness. And um, it was just a really interesting, it was interesting just growing up. So it's part of me. It's been a part of me. When I became a Christian, I realized, oh, this wasn't my idea. <laughs> this was actually better than what I imagined. And um, I started, when I started reading the scriptures, I just, the Lord just brought so many things to life. Um, from Genesis 1, the Imago Day, the image of God, and started to understand, oh wait, we're all made equal, and this was from the beginning. And, <laughs> you know, like, this sure. is him. And just through all throughout the scriptures, and understanding the race transcending gospel, understanding the, the multi-ethnic mission, um, understanding the veil of hostility being torn in the body of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, all, all th- acts going to the ends of the earth and people being rebuked for their racism and Jesus mm-hmm. um, interacting with uh, women who he, sh- you know, by culturally speaking, he should have, they're Samaritan. That's a dog. You know, you don't talk to them. Those kind of things that I just, ah, oh, I'm reading and I'm like, oh, the Lord speaks to this and he speaks a better yeah. word. He speaks <laughs> a better word. And yeah. so, the scriptures in not only enlightened me, but just transforms 
the way I view this in my worldview and the foundation for it. So no longer was it just my dad told me, you know, you, you need to love people. It was like, oh, wait, my father, <laughs> my father is a, said it's a commandment. So that kind of answers both of those questions. But it's always been something that's been a passion and, and a work. Like I've always done something um, right. in my community. Uh, mm-hmm. It's so, so yeah. Well, you kind of hit on some of your personal experiences that you, the racism uh, you've endured. Um, what about, you know, working in, I mean, would you say it's fair to say that you have really worked in predominantly white spaces? I'm just curious, like, how has that been? Have there been certain challenges that as a black woman that you have particularly felt simply because of your race? And then, um, I would love for just our white listeners, uh, women listening, to to have an awareness of that, so that we can make our our friends in the office who don't look like us just have a better work experience. Like, how can we serve you? Like, what has your experience been, and how can we serve you better? Basically, yeah. So it all depends. It's interesting. I have yes. The answer is yes. I am very. How can I say this? it depends on the work environment. I can be pretty assertive and just uh-huh. kind of, I, I'm confident if the Lord has called me somewhere, I'm going to do the job. And so I, I'm not going to beg for a place uh-huh. and it, it, my, my, you're going to, I'm there. So what do you need me to do? I'm going to do the job. So that is one of the things, however, that some people are more, who would maybe be more timid or, fearful or concerned, wouldn't just do the job. So mm-hmm. I would say um, making sure that that they have a place at the table if they're, yeah. if they're depending on what that table looks like. Um, mm-hmm. And don't make them say it. Don't make them ask for it. Don't make them fight for it. That is one of the, that it, that's so undignified. <laughs> I just don't, like, don't, <laughs> people should not have to do that. People, if you have mm-hmm. called them to lead, then you better ha- let them lead. Give them that mm-hmm. space or or whatever. Uh, yeah. So it all just depends on the what it is that someone's doing. Because here's the thing. If they, we all have different roles in our jobs. So, mm-hmm. so one of the things, for example, I love Moody. I love Moody so much. I've not had to fight. I haven't even... Had to, I, there's not been this like feeling that I'm, my my voice isn't heard or valued mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at all. Great. Um, my voice is valued, it's heard. And there's just, it, it, it's the culture. The culture is that such that I don't, it's, it's not been something I've questioned. And I, I'm trying to think of what's different because it's still majority white. Um. And I think one of the things is that my my role is such that I'm I am a leader, right? And, and so I haven't I haven't had to fight for that leadership, um, and and I'm encouraged to and trusted to do the work that I've been asked to do, and so and yeah. so I. And so I'm not I'm not sure how I how that could encourage other sisters. I guess I guess if if you're white and you have someone in in your realm who is a person of color, there's a few things. One, remember that we're not monolithic, so we're not all the same. Right. And we don't all have the same experience. And we also don't all have the same convictions about how to handle these things. True. That's important. So maybe the the first thing to do is get to know your neighbor Good. rather than make assumptions about them and what they need. And because that can actually do more harm than good. I mean, I remember, I don't remember where I was. Well, I'm not even going to say that. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, what is good? What's one thing that you did say that sort of um, touched was dignity. And I do think that sometimes hiring someone who just because they're black 
can be hard because when they're not proficient at the job or they do have to beg because they were just hired from their because they're black, it actually winds up not being good for the in, the work environment or for the person. And then there is a dignity issue that does come into play. And so I would encourage um, people to, when you're looking at hiring a person, hire them for their skills, minority or not, because it's not good for anybody when a person just got hired because of what they look like. That doesn't mean they're great at their job. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and one of the things, especially if there's an executive, make pathways for them. So if, if one of the problems that a lot of, uh, it, it, for example, I was, I was talking to a pastor who was like, man, I would love to hire an African-American male, da, 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 da. Well, I'm like, well, where do you go? And he, he named right. a certain college that's what I mean, it's so white. And, and I was like, this is a white private college. You if you're if you're setting up shop only at this white private college, you're going to have a hard time recruiting people. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And then and then all of the, every all of their um, their leadership is majority white. And it's because they they pull up or um, hire up. From within. So uh-huh. if you're starting with majority, right? And then, sure. and so I, I said, well, the problem starts with your recruiting yeah. and your training. So if you're never going to train someone and not, and not going to recruit and at someone who is a person of color, if you're not going to go to an HBCU, a historically black college, or if you're not going to look for a college that may, maybe, um, has people of color, if you're never going to recruit that, if you're not going to be intentional there, then you're going to have trouble. You're, you're, you're not going to be able to diversify. And then you may have that problem where the tokenism that Missy is talking about, where you hire someone just because, um, but then you're not actually equipping or developing training and women experience this. In the local church, we talk about this all the time, how the men may have certain programs and they're being trained, but the women aren't. And so we see that same disparity all over the place. And so we need to make sure that we're being very intentional so that we don't have those gaps so that, and I think that helps build build dignity also, but it will help your your organization in the long run. So we got to be, you have to be thoughtful and intentional about how you recruit and where you're recruiting. And I'm assuming they're women who are executives. So thinking through that, thinking through how you're going to be intentional about that from the beginning will help with some of the things that Missy was talking about. It's really good. So Trillia, one of the questions I have for you. So I work in a a predominantly white space. And one of the things I know is true is that just because it's white doesn't mean it's dangerous, doesn't mean it's bad. Those are things that are misnomers. And I work with uh, a lot of wonderful, incredible people who have given me a lot of incredible opportunity. But in the midst of that, you do run into those people that you're like, wow, okay, there's a moment. Okay. (laughs) You're unique. And um, I've had comments made to me. Some some of them, I was very, it was, we were able to use them for great teachable moments. Some of them were just designed to be hurtful or embarrassing or things like that. Um, and I have seen you, because you're public, uh, receive a few of those things on social media. And um, so how, what is it that you do to continue? I know you talked about your father and the father um, uh, teaching you to love but what would you say, what has allowed you to persevere and not let it eat away at you so that you could continue to serve in ministry when you get kind of those, what are attacks or crazy remarks? Yeah. Okay. So theology matters. Mm-hmm. It's so important. And one of the reasons why I can continue is because I know God. Yeah, and so I don't know just about God, but I know God. I love him and he loves me. I know that he will never leave or forsake me. I know this. I also know that he created me and he he thought it was good. <laughs> so I really, he, he gave me dignity and no one can take it away. These things seem so trite mm-hmm. at face value. But when you are 
faced with blatant racism, yeah, mm-hmm. it's very meaningful. <laughs> it all, yeah. all of a sudden becomes so real. So for yeah. me, what has kept me from in, to to continue in this race and continue is to remind myself of this, of who who I really am in light mm-hmm. of who God says I am. Also, however, I have also lovingly corrected and and rebuked at times and knowing when to do that mm-hmm. is 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 helpful but you know one of the things that i've learned from experience all of this for 40 years is that it's it's not usually my burden to bear in other words mm-hmm. there is something really really dead wrong sad going on in their life right mm-hmm. and so Often, though I have had moments where I've cried many tears, Mm -hmm. often I have felt sorrow Mm -hmm. more than anything. Like, what a sad thing to have such anger or to have such hatred. Like, that is is such a burden to bear. I think, Mm -hmm. I, I, I believe... Dr. King said that, and it's true. That kind of hate is a burden. It's burdensome. It is. So I, I, I don't feel bad for me. I feel really (laughs) bad for them because it's Mm -hmm. so sad. So, so that to me helps is that um, it's not my burden to carry. And, and I feel such sorrow for them. I love all of that. And you, you, all of that is because what you started with, theology matters. I think so. I, believe, mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I know so. <laughs> right. I mean, it That's really, cool. knowing God and knowing about God, understanding who he is really helps when you're trying to, f- when someone c- tries to curse your identity, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got to be grounded in something other than yourself. Yeah. Yes. Well, and Trey, so I mean, good. even just hearing you say that, Missy and I were chatting before you came on this morning and, you know, she was just sharing me even some specific things people have told her. And it is so shocking to me to hear To me, it's shocking to you. You're like, no, like, no, this happens. But I think for so many women, so many white women, it's just, we can't, I'm glad that you're talking about it because it's just hard for us to even imagine someone attacking, like, just like you said, they are attacking your identity, who God made you. And it's appalling. And, um, you know, we want to love you well. I want to love you guys well. And Mm -hmm. uh, it just, it's sad. You're right. It's sad. It's on their part. It's sad. It's so sad. Okay. Well, Couple more questions, Trillia. Thanks for being here again. <laughs> so, how has would you say there is a difference in leading in a distinctly Christian environment versus a secular environment? Like, how would a Christian woman go about these two categories? Okay, here I am speaking to a Christian world, here's secular world. How can we navigate that well? I'm really glad you asked that because because my <laughs> as Missy joked, what am I going to be doing when I'm sixty? Right. <laughs> I was a manager um, at a fitness facility where I managed about 50, 60 men and women. Mm -hmm. um, And that was a task. So, (laughs) but it was, it was a joy, but it was a task. (laughs) And so I would have to do conflict resolution. I would have to, there was lots of things that I was uh, terminating. There was, there was a lot going on. And, um, and so ask the question again, <laughs> so I can make sure to answer um, it correctly. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, just how to, how to manage that? Well, like, is there a difference? Like, I mean, you're still a Christian in both environments and, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know. So the difference, the difference is in a Christian environment, you really can go straight to rely on call out text in True. the scripture in the Bible, right? <laughs> so it's a different, that's probably one of the major differences is that in a Christian environment, you can appeal to their Christianity. Like mm-hmm. this is who we are. This is who we need to be. And this is why. So that's a different kind of a- appealing and mm-hmm. managing and thinking. And 
in a environment that is not Christian in so far as um, they have not labeled them such as such, it makes me think of um, what's the, uh, oh, I can't think of the the person who wrote basically not every good endeavor, that's Tim Keller, but the, the, mm. the thought that every square inch, like we're, yeah. so we're, we're still a Christian wherever sure. we go. Right. So, yes. so although my environment has changed, my personhood yeah. has not, I'm still, yeah. so as I'm thinking through how I'm going to communicate to someone who is not a Christian, I still have to love. I mm-hmm. still have to communicate in grace and truth. I still have a, com- I have all sorts of commandments for how to engage this person. Um, I need to still be slow to speak, right? That's and true. slow to <laughs> anger and abounding yeah. in love. And these are, these commandments still apply to me. So yeah. as I'm engaging, I'm still going to extend grace, assume the best, speak truth in love. Those I'm implementing. Um, and I remember one particular situation that was very difficult and the Lord allowed me to do these things. And by the end, we were talking about the Lord. I mean, because wow. I think that there was something different in the way I was communicating with mm-hmm. her. Yeah. And she was mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I remember her being softened. Wow. wow. And opening up. And it was really, really kind of the Lord. However, obviously, every situation doesn't end that way. But I think those that's that's the command I'm given. It doesn't always happen, right? Because we're human and sinners. Um, <laughs> and then in that case, I have to ask for forgiveness. But um, but does that make sense? So yeah. so how? Yeah, I think the way that we incorporate, and, and I'm mostly think, thinking relational. I'm not talking about management skills. Right, right. That's a different mm-hmm. topic. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and that doesn't, I don't think, I don't know that there's a a Christian way to organize a calendar, right? Well, that's <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. So yeah, I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying. So, um, so I'm mostly thinking, okay, how should I operate relationally? Um, yes. And I, I think the difference lies more in me than in them. Right. I'm not going to expect someone who's not a Christian to apply Christian <laughs> principles, though, how, to a certain extent. However, some of these Christian principles to treat people how we should be treated, not to gossip, those things cross those boundaries. And I think they should be mm-hmm. implemented. Oh my goodness, my friend, that's good. Yes, that's good. So you know what's so crazy is your life really has been a lot. Because then when you said you managed people at a fitness center, I was like, my gosh, what? She used to write down everything she did. Not done. We we listen. We need to bring you back on just to talk through your resume, okay? (laughs) (laughs) No, that is so funny. Well, I think also I'm you know mid forties, so yeah. Right. Life's experience. Yes. And when you live, live life to the fullest, you have a lot of experiences. So that's great. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we have to close. Um, what I would love to, the way we love to close each one of our podcasts is to ask for one piece of advice that you would want women, that you want to leave with women who want to honor God through their vocational calling. What is a thing that you would say this is what God has shown me and this is what I'd like to give to you. I, I'm not going to tell you some of the easier ones, right? Pray, mm-hmm. wait on the Lord. Those are, you're going to probably do that. I'm actually mm-hmm. going to tell you something that I think a lot of you will probably struggle with and that's go and do. Okay. Step out in faith. Do the thing that the Lord has called you to do. Go and do it. Amen. Thank you. That's really, it is because I think we kind of get stuck and either fear gets us in the way or we don't think we can do, or we don't have the faith to go and do. There's so many reasons why we don't, or we're lazy. We might be lazy. <laughs> well, he is, he, before the foundation of the world, he had good works planned for us. And of course, that's, mm-hmm. those good works are ultimately being transformed from one degree of glory to the next 
to like myself yeah. with Jesus. However, there are other good works. And so just step out and do them. Amen. That's so great. Let's do it. Well, thank you so much. I know that women are going to be really encouraged uh, by this episode, and we just really appreciate you coming on, Tria. And thanks so much to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. There will also be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, take a look at the Women in Work podcast discussion questions. We provided those so that you can lead your friends from work, your neighborhood, or your church into useful conversations that will encourage you as you take your next step of faith into your calling. If you enjoyed today's show and don't want to miss an episode, please subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.